0: 7.02 and the sunburn setting in here the true oldies channel it's Ira on sports we're both a little crispy took in a lot of golf over the past uh, 72 hours so got a lot to talk about with that it's gonna be a great show and Ira in addition to that glad to have you in studio again um Fran Dundee gonna join us in a little bit uh, tell us a little bit about um Fran if we're not familiar
1: um, Fran was uh, the longtime coach at Temple and also the longtime coach at University of Pennsylvania, uh, 563 wins, one of the greatest coaches in basketball uh, in NCAA. And also this is he's announced that he's retiring at the end of the year. And it's sort of a, almost a victory tour for him going mm-hmm. through and talking to all the different uh, every team he goes to. And it's just amazing how uh, the outpouring of support. I mean, he's been a, such a class. Individual. He's one of the classiest people in a profession which sometimes doesn't have a lot of class. And he's been one of the classiest <laughs> people uh, in this profession. And you're starting to see people like respect what what he's done for basketball.
0: Who are you implying is not the classiest guy in NCAA uh, There's just
1: basketball. a lot. I think you've had it. <laughs> for all the bad things in NCAA, this is a good guy. He's someone who's the good guy. He's the reason why these players who play for him, they love playing for him. He's really helped players. If you see how many people stay in touch with him, he's in touch with hundreds and hundreds of his players. He helps people through. Throughout the rest of their life he is a truly he's a teacher in school he teaches management classes yeah i've known him since he got the job at Patton, and is one of the finest he's not just a fine great basketball coach just a, just a great individual
0: ira all right let's talk about it honda classic is in the books and it didn't go the way most people thought it was going to go um I got to tell you, great Sunday! One of the most enjoyable Sundays of golf I've I've seen in a long time. You were there. I didn't get to make it out uh, on on Sunday. You were there Saturday, Sunday. I did Thursday and Friday. Um, so tell us about that finish. I mean, what what was it like? You know, on eighteen with everyone getting ready, and obviously Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kep- Kepka Koepka, two of the top in the world. Um, you know, potentially having a playoff shot.
1: Well, considering that the entire week, the only thing we've been hearing is there's no star power in this tournament. And you were about one shot away from having Brooks Kepka and Ricky Fowler, two of the biggest names in golf, go to a playoff when they were playing amazing golf when they had birdied all these final holes mm-hmm. and they were going to go to a playoff on the 18 hole which is par 5 uh, in front of tens of thousands of fans uh, and of course uh, Mitchell then uh, spoiled the party and sank an amazing birdie putt on 18 and there was no playoff but it was really close for a tournament that people said there's no star power you almost had two of the best big names in golf go into a playoff
0: you know it's hard enough especially you know, as an amateur golfer it's really hard to hit any putt over three feet <laughs> You know, And you're looking at that putt on TV, and you're like, this just doesn't look that hard. When they showed the replay, that was an extremely difficult putt that Mitchell had to put down to get that win.
1: It's not only a hard putt, but if you're out there, you realize there is, the fans are all around the green. They're all around the stands. It was very noisy, very loud. This is not your putting, and it's quiet. It is mm. people are screaming. People are yelling. We saw Fowler on 18 in the fairway hit a shot, and he actually backed away. He's the greatest guy in the world but backed away from a shot because fans he's a few feet away and people are screaming at him on 18 Mm -hmm. and it was the end of the day people said well you can throw me out of the tournament now There were cares (laughs) and they were all probably all drunk and it was very noisy so for him to sink a putt like that he's ranked 132 in the world it just shows you the quality of golfers the fact that the 132nd ranked player in the world can make a putt like that and have a final round like he had
0: Um, I you know typically the score was pretty close you know people don't win the Honda at 20 under um, I, I've seen, I think, 12 might be the best, but it's usually around 10. Um, do you think the course was playing harder than you've seen it lately? Because we didn't have a lot of good scores, and it was really unpredictable what was going to happen round to round with each golfer.
1: Well, I think I, Brooks Kepka and Justin Thomas made the same comment. They said that this is a tournament that it, you you have to concentrate on every shot that it's not one of those things where I'll just hit a shot because if you don't that's why in the, an opening day on the first day on Thursday Kapka with a, a Fowler with a triple bogey a triple bogey for Ricky Fowler and he still has a chance to win the tournament and Brooks had a double bogey and Justin Thomas with the double Crazy. bogeys and it was like one of these things there's a lot of water and the, but it's, it's some some courses have water that's not playable water. I mean the water is sort of just for the decoration, decoration yeah. this water is is used. I mean you're, when you come up on 6 and six had a, was the hardest hole in the course, you are actually driving and then you have to hit over the water to get to the green. So it's on your second shot. Sometimes on the par threes, like on 15 and 17, you're hitting water over there. And then it's just, it's, there's a lot of water on the course. It's very difficult. And it's one of those courses that, uh, that, that, that you can just make those mistakes. And then suddenly you go back from nine under as like the leader, mm-hmm. uh, Clark went from nine. Adam, you know, I'm following Fowler. And there's the one criticism I have at the Honda, they need more sport, scoreboards. The cell, they say, use your phone. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there's bad cell service on the court. I I need to know what's happening in the scores, and I couldn't get what's going on.
0: That's always been an issue, and, you know, I've been covering the Honda Classic for eight years, and it's really tough sometimes trying to do live reports from the Honda. You can't get the scores. You know, hopefully you have your Wi-Fi working or, yeah your your 4G, like you said, but that can be a a little bit tough sometimes. But other than that, it's a remarkably run tournament. Anybody who lives in South Florida and hasn't been to the Honda Classic doing themselves a disservice. We're just about a minute or two away from Fran Dunphy joining us here on Ira on Sports. Ira, tell us about the atmosphere because, you know, you know, this tournament typically wins, um, you know, family favorite every year. And it didn't
1: disappoint to me this year. Well, on Saturday, it's like one of those tournaments that on Saturday, first of all, during the tournament. And I was just at the Genesis two weeks ago. The Genesis, you walk around the tours. There's no stands really to sit. There's no clubhouse after the event. There's really no party atmosphere. It's people. And they have half the crowds that the, the Honda has. This tournament on Saturday after the it ends at five thirty, there was a tent for a DJ. There might have been a couple thousand people at the tent. There's a in the i bar in the in the in the clubhouse packed. You couldn't even move in there. Mm. Outside of the i bar, there was other things down below. Another event. There was a whole group of like a hundred kids for a kids event at the PGA tour. There was so much going on. I was at a, at a champagne tent. It was mm. just every tent. It was a lot of fun. Uh, tremendous atmosphere. They got great weather. Perfect weather. Uh, no rain. It really was. It was risky. It. The rain was always... Always threatened, but it never happened. They mm-hmm. rained and get it interfere. And I think from set on Saturday and Sunday they had great crowds. I I was there on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday. I thought it was very for the pro am. Didn't think anybody was out there. Uh, seven people fo- followed Kepka, Twenty followed Fowler. But I think for definitely for Saturday and Sunday, uh, this has become more of a pa- party atmosphere. It's the biggest sports event in West Palm Beach, and people come out. They love coming to it. You, you know, I was going to say the same
0: thing. I was surprised. You know, everyone was saying, no, "Oh, nobody's going to go to the Honda this year because the few." wasn't what we've been building up to for the past decade but you know the the two days i was there sure seemed busy (laughs) you know i I heard the numbers were down slightly and that that is to be expected but regardless i think they had a great turnout we'll talk more about that in just a moment but let's begin uh fran he's your head men's basketball coach at temple fran thank you so much for joining us you become a a good friend here on iron sports and were you watching uh yesterday afternoon because that was some sunday battle there at pga national
2: uh, we played basketball yesterday afternoon. So I didn't see much of it. I did see some highlights, but uh, I, I, but I did not see it live.
0: Well, you, um, I, you know, I've heard you're a big golfer. So uh, next time you're in South Florida, I'm gonna have to make sure you uh, get on a round with me. I played Saturday and played terrible, so I could use you.
2: <laughs> well, I'm sorry, sorry to hear you didn't play so well. But <laughs> Ira, right, what do you uh, got for Coach? You got you got your best days in front of you. I'm quite sure.
1: I, I hope so. Ira, right, what about you? Coach, um, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And this, as we've announced before the year began, that this is going to be your final season at Temple. Uh, A tremendous success, 560 wins at both Penn and Temple. And I think the one thing that, that I think people, when they mention you, it's not only your victories and your success, the NCAA tournaments, it's that everywhere you go, you're just getting accolades after accolades. Everyone views you as one of the classiest coaches in the profession. You've won. It's just no one has anything, not only not bad to say about you, but it's just like on and on about how great you are, how many people, you, how the other coaches like you, the referees like you, the broadcasters like you, the fans, the opposing fans like you, you are one of the most popular coaches maybe in the history of college basketball. So I just want to congratulate you on a tremendous career so far.
2: Well, thanks, I You have certainly some bias attributed to you, but I appreciate it very much nonetheless. You're a good man and a good friend, and you're nice to say all those things.
1: So the, you're again on the bubble. I know that you hate that term. And I mean, is it something that as from an interest of your team, you just don't even talk about you just win the next game in front of you? Or is how do you treat the fact that, again, Temple is like, you know, you look on the reports and you don't know. I mean, they just say you're on the bubble in terms of getting in. But is this how you just you just go game by? You're just going to win the next game. Is that how you, you approach it?
2: Yeah, pretty much, Ira. That's, that's really the only stance you can take at this point. And you, you say to your guys, don't listen to this and that. And, and they're going to listen. Uh, there's so much going on social media wise and all of those things these days. So it's really not much you can do about it. Just concentrate on the task at hand. And For us, this means uh, this week we are at UConn on Thursday and a quick turnaround at home on Saturday afternoon against UCF and Two real good teams, and we have to play our best basketball in order to maintain our, 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 our level of bubble uh, bubbleness as it were, at this point.
1: <laughs> and, and the one thing that people don't understand is that the American Athletic Conference, the AAC, is actually going to have potentially four or five teams in the tournament, and, and the Pac-12 might only get one. Uh, in the tournament. I mean, you have Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, yourself, Memphis. Uh, even a team like Wichita State that people are used to being in the, in the NCAA every year is probably not going to make it this year. I mean, talk about how tough the American Athletic Conference has been this year. I mean, you're the, Houston's only lost two games all year. They're 27-2, and two, and you were one of the teams that beat them.
2: Yeah, we have a very, very good basketball conference. There's no question about it. I think there's some great programs, terrific coaches, outstanding players, and, uh, I, and I think we're going to get better as the years go on here, too, and that, that's what's really uh, frightening in one way and exciting in another. It's uh, It's a terrific, terrific league, and... And we have our best days in front of us.
1: So we have a lot of fans down here in West, in West Palm Beach that, that UCF, people don't realize how big the school is. I mean, I, you run into people in West Palm Beach all the time that went to UCF. So I know you have a really big game against them this week. So we sort of talk about UCF for a second, and uh, and the season they've had has been tremendous too.
2: They're a terrific basketball team. Johnny Dawkins has done a wonderful job. I watched uh, just about the every play of the Houston-UCF game the other day. Um, It just just was obviously very interested in the outcome, and we're going to play. We're going to play both of those uh, both of those teams. Hopefully, well, we're certainly playing UCF coming up, but and if we're lucky enough, we could get to play Houston again. But in any event, it was the hardest fought college game I've seen in a long, long time. I was trying to get blood from a stone out there. It was very difficult to score. Both teams were tremendous defensively. And you have a guy like Taco Fall who is just so unusual to coach against. Uh, he's so clogging up the lane. and uh, His his toughness at the rim trying to score against him is really difficult on the defensive end. And now he has become a force on the offensive end as well. They're, they're throwing lobs to him. Might be six or seven feet away from the basket, but by the time his Arm length gets involved. It's a, it's a dunk by by Taco uh, so many times there, and he's he's uh, so you wind up get, fouling him often as well, and, and and that's sometimes the only hope you have is that he won't make both foul shots. But he's a he's a force to be reckoned with. And again, the, those two teams were so hard playing the other day. It was remarkable
1: to watch and your team plays very hard I mean I was at up, at, up and saw you against Cincinnati in a very hard-fought game um, talk about your team a little bit about uh, Alston and Quinton Ross and and it seems like you really have a number of players that can step up each game you have someone else coming up and being you you've a very deep or a deeper team that you've had in the past and it seems like every game another player is the is maybe the star of the game
2: well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Certainly our leader is Shiz Alston. He's had a terrific year for us. He's He's been a great player on the court. He's been a terrific leader off the court and in the locker room. So I'm so proud of him and so happy for his success this year. Uh, Quentin Rose has had a number of people come and watch him play in terms of uh, pro scouts and those kinds of things. And he's, he's actually uh, been to camps over the last couple of summers and and i hope it happens for him again this this summer and we'll see see where all of that goes but uh we have another young man who's played a lot of minutes nate pierre louis who's uh, has got a lot of uh, energy and is more electric out there than most most guys on basketball courts and he's done very well for himself and, and but we do have some other players that have stepped up uh jp mormon Dre perry uh, justin hamilton ernest de and lonnie moore Damian Moore. So we've had uh, we've had a lot of guys contribute. We're going to need them over the next uh, two weeks.
1: One of the things that a lot of it's either a criticism of basketball, but it's almost in all generals, just high school and the NBA is the prevalence of the three point shots. And I mean, there's a comment that if uh, Michael Jordan had taken as many shots as LeBron it would have had like 4000 more points in terms of three pointing point shots, it just came up because their, their point totals are LeBron's about to pass Michael Jordan. But what's your opinion in terms of, you've seen the whole game evolve. I mean, you started coaching when there was actually no three-point shot in college basketball. So what talk about the emergence of the three-point shot and and what you think about it as whether it's been good, bad, or, or indifferent.
2: Well, you're right. I, I have been around a few years, so I, I did coach when the three-point line came into vogue. Uh, and it was different. And I think the first one was about... I want to say 17-9 from the from the basket which was very very different but people were reluctant to shoot it at that point in time because that wasn't how the game was played and now the evolution of the game is so remarkable that uh, almost the, the big guy has uh, you just don't see it very often anymore so the, the inside play has has kind of gone away because the analytics tell you that you're better off shooting threes and 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 are we to think that the evolution of the game will be a four-point shot another three or four feet away and, and that then we'll have to pay attention to that way the game is played but uh, you know I think it's it's been for the good of the game the game changes life changes you have to change with it. the athleticism has certainly changed dramatically uh, how people prepare for the game and and, uh, and, and how the, the social media pieces has jumped in there and, and changed the game oftentimes players are probably on their phone at halftime checking out what people are saying about them it's an interesting dynamic that we go through at this point Uh, i'm not so sure the purist in me is appreciating it quite like i I might but uh, but i do think the game is in in pretty good health at this point we can always get better it's not perfect but but i i I do think we have a, a good good game at this point
1: and I guess one of the changes that's going to happen to college basketball is they're talking about, of course, getting rid of the one and done, but also the G League development and, and mentioning the fact that they'll be able to ha- pay higher salaries. And some players might just go to the G League for a year and not go uh, or maybe two years and not go to college basketball. What do you think the effect in the future of uh, eliminating the one and done and uh, the G League even for, for schools like Temple that don't maybe have a lot of one and done players that go there, but just eventually how that would even affect your school?
2: Well, people will ask me all the time how I feel about the one and one and done scenario, and I've oftentimes said I, I I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I'd sure like to try it one year and see what <laughs> it's like. That's great. Uh, but the G League is is going to be different. I think there are just some kids that may not want to go to college; they want to get right into the pro career right away, and and uh, you know they 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 probably should have that right. Uh, that's okay. Although I you know I lean to having young men go to college because I think there's so many things that you can, you can grow from by the the college experience. and, and uh, but it's, there are some kids out there who are prepared to play in the NBA right away. Not many, uh, but there are more that are probably prepared to play in the G league. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of financial gain they can make from it. Uh, I hope that if they do that, that they take good care of their money and, because there's no guarantee that you're going to get that big contract. And, and, uh, and at some point you're going to have to, you know, provide for your family and make it, make a good living for yourself and for, for the folks around you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where that evolves to. There's no question about it. Uh, But I think we're, we're facing that at, at some point in the near future. That's the direction it looks like we're going.
1: And one, one final question, coach, uh, next week is going to be to start the conference tournaments. Actually, in some conferences they're starting this week. Um, it, talk about, in terms of your, your tournaments in Memphis, but talk about how uh, you prepare the teams to play uh three you're going to play three times perhaps in a row if to make, get it to the championship game and just the whole atmosphere people say well we don't need the conference tournaments anymore but for some schools that's the only way of course to get in the tournament and some people need those wins to get that at large burst how do you get your team prepared from going from a season where you don't ever play back-to-back games to sometimes maybe playing three some teams are playing five back-to-back games and going from like one playing you know one game and then having three games days off to actually having these back-to-back to back games
2: yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, and I, I recall maybe was it Connecticut a couple of years ago, and maybe Syracuse as well, went and had to play, win four or five, or maybe there was even six games that they won, uh, and then went on to the NCAA tournament, and and did very well in it. So it's it's remarkable what young people can do, uh, and how their bodies can hold up. And but the reality is, if you need the win, then you're you're thinking about today. If you don't necessarily need it, you may be thinking about tomorrow but it's uh, for a school like ours and where we are we're worried about uh, winning as many games as we can because we are on that proverbial bubble Uh, but so whatever that game is in front of you that's your primary focus and it has to be like that Uh, if you were going into the your your conference playoffs and your record was uh, 26 and 5 and you're uh, you're ranked number 12 in the country then maybe you're looking at it a little bit differently so everybody has a different approach Uh, And then you you may be in a a one-and-done league that whoever's winning the conference tournament is going, and you're selling out to the three days in a row that you have to play. But uh, it's remarkable what these kids go through, and they—they. But there's there's plenty of opportunity to really work with them and just say, "This is the rest we have to get." And the other factor is here that the other team you're playing has gone through the same situation as well, so. Uh, there's a lot of games to be played there and, and it's amazing what what again your the human body will will put up with
1: well, Coach Dunphy, thanks again for coming on. I know you're really busy. This is a really busy time of the year, and uh, uh, and every, you know UCF. Uh, you play Connecticut on Thursday, UCF on uh, on Saturday at uh, four o'clock on ESPN two. I mean, anybody's looking for a great college basketball game, that is going to be can, that game leads into Duke Carolina. So it's going to be a really this Saturday is going to be a tremendous day of college basketball. But again, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show.
2: Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, I You're a good man, a good friend, and uh, that's. What, that's what means something to me. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you. He is Fran Dunphy, head men's basketball coach at Temple. <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't want to, um, didn't want to say, well, coaches on the line, but Joe Lenardi of ESPN has them in, make, has them make, making it in his opinion that they'll slide in as uh, one of those final four. So of course we're rooting out. Uh, we're rooting for them here on iron sports. That's what you're listening to. It's seven twenty three. This is the true oldies channel. of Mike Balsamo. L- let's shift gears back to the Honda classic. Um, you know, people in South Florida. This is like a you know huge passion for us. But I had friends from all over the country reaching out to me about this this tournament because it really is fun to watch. And you know, even though like you said, we didn't have the, some of the best names in the world, we still got a great product on the on the course. So that's what I'm happy about. But you know, it was a little I was a little worried. You know, what was it Friday night? You texted me. Um, I don't know about Justin Thomas making this cut. So you know there there was some ups and downs. But tell us about uh, JT because he was probably who's the highest ranked player in the field and uh, one of the biggest names.
1: Yeah, well, I got it was fun. I got to on third, Tuesday. Um, I went out to the practice round and I got to follow. I so I followed Adam Scott uh, from Australia and watched him play. And it was interesting. It Was the first practice round in the history of the PJ that they allowed shorts. So it's so weird. I took pictures and sent them people. They're like, what are you taking pictures of? I go, they're not pro golf." I go, these are the pro golfers. They're allowed to wear shorts. And it's amazing that you're asking these guys to play in 100-degree temperatures in a pro-am. Now, let's analyze what the pro-am is. The pro-am is they're playing with four people that cannot play golf. And Justin <laughs> Thomas so was absolutely hilarious. I heard him in the interview room afterwards, and he was talking. And people say, well, he goes, what advice do you give? And he goes, well, I'm taking this from, I think Jim Furyk said this, is that I look at a pro-am golfer, and I said, this is the advice I give you. You suck. I know You suck. You know you suck, so just play like you suck. I go, you have an 18 handicap for a reason. Mm. (laughs) That's what you have. You have it, and don't try to hit the shots. My job is to play professional golf. I'm on the tour. This is how I make money, and this is the type of shots I hit. Don't try to hit my shots. I practice these shots every day. This (laughs) is my job. (laughs) Just go hit the normal shots the way you're an 18 handicap. And he goes, the problem with these pro-ams is these golfers try to hit try to match Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods, mm. Phil Mickelson and shots. I, I would too. And then they hit the balls in the water and they're sprayed all over the place and it's a disaster. And he's like, just play your game and w- and that's okay. Don't try to impress me because you're not going to impress me because you won't impress me. And I like that. But but Thomas was funny in that. But I thought it was neat. Thomas, when I saw Thomas on the putting green on Tuesday for an hour and a half, um, just putting and then having fun. Like he had his friends out there, his dad was out there and they were like rolling the, put- the ball They're not even putting, just rolling the ball closest Hmm. to hole, making bets like he lost. So I saw him get his wallet out and pay some people some money that he owed to. So it's pretty cool to see that atmosphere there. And it was also great to see um, like when Adam Scott walk around. I mean, there's holes like on seven and eight when you're never for the tournament allowed to go up there. You could actually walk up and and do that. So that was pretty cool to go do.
0: No, it's it's definitely cool. Um, What was cooler was. Like we talked about earlier, the you know the, the rally on Sunday from both uh, Brooks Kepka and Ricky Fowler to put themselves in into contention. Um, Brooks Kepka is from uh, is from West Palm Beach, went to Cardinal Newman right here. Been rooting for him for a long time. He was actually a uh, tournament exemption. Like five years ago, before he was big, they wanted to get this local up and coming kid in, and he didn't make the cut. But it was still—I never forgot that name. Um, So tell us about Brooks Koepka.
1: I don't think that people realize how great he is. I mean, it's—it's like, and they ask Ricky, they ask um, Justin the question. They go, um, "What is it?" what are your feeling about Brooks in terms of getting asking questions about golf and making statements because Justin's becoming very critical, which we can talk a little bit later about the rules of golf. There was a lot of weird things with the rules with, of the of what was happening. And he's like, his comment was, well, Brooks really three years ago, nobody knew who he was. So nobody was asking him any questions. It wasn't like he wasn't talking. He's was talking to us, but he wasn't, nobody was asking questions because he wasn't winning. And he's only won four tournaments, but three majors. <laughs> and you win three majors in two years is pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. Um, what about uh, our, our boy Ricky Fowler? My, my favorite golfer. I was so rooting for him. But you're right. He was very gracious in defeat.
1: Ricky Fowler is a class act. I mean, totally a class act. He went, I mean, he. I, what I saw on Sunday... The guy plays, it's hot, it's five hours done. He doesn't have to wait for Mitchell to finish the round, and and but he waited for him to congratulate him after he was done, which is another like 15 minutes or whatever to stay. But then he's there, he says hi to his friends. He went, and there were people in the autograph. Everybody's there for to sign an autograph. And he doesn't just go do a line where he goes and like autographs, walks down the line and signs whoever puts his fast enough and then is out. He signed, there was a point, there were probably about 200, 250 people there. He signed every autograph. There wasn't anybody left. When he was done, he signed the final autograph. I'm so impressed. I mean he was like nobody is gonna go home without an autograph of me that was standing in line for me. And it was just I mean it's a Sunday night. I'm sure he wants to go out with his friends and just relax a little bit. And he just was what a class act and the whole he's very popular. You can see that he had the biggest crowds. He was the tiger rory of this tournament. And and I, and he's plays so well, and you just hope that he starts. Like, when's he gonna win a major? Like, he's too yeah. good. He is by far the best player on the tour. I mean, he's ranked number nine in the world, but he's by far the best player to not win a major. And you got to think that when he wins one, it's not gonna be just one. It's gonna be two, three, four, five, because he has every part of his game. He drives well, short game well. The putts that he had on Sunday were amazing. The chip on—he uh, had a chip in six, and then the putt on uh, on on 15, on seventeen, and eighteen for birdies. Just amazing I
0: four on18 when he miss uh, miss hit the drive and I'm like oh gosh and a great recovery he's he's the best ambassador not just for golf the best ambassador in sports for for their their sport I mean he just makes everybody he, he makes everybody love golf you can't watch him and not just enjoy every second of it it's great for getting this whole younger generation, like Tiger did 20 years ago get people like me to start playing golf Ricky Fowlers what's getting you know the, the young kids now playing it, it, it's amazing um Webb Simpson American um, didn't have his, didn't have his best uh, his best uh, finished tied thirty six, but at least that, that was a familiar face.
1: Well, he won the players last year, and um, uh, and so that was one thing. But I, I he just some I mean it was really this tournament was Justin Thomas, Brooks Capiga, Ricky Fowler. I mean these guys were the ones that were had the crowds. People were following, and that's usually what it is. When it's Tiger and Rory, those were the those who had the crowds with those. So and they were lucky that Justin Thomas made the cut because even I followed Justin on Sunday, and he did get crowds. Of course, on Saturday he shot a sixty seven on Saturday. And and then on Sunday he came back shot of seventy. But the point is that it was uh, it was interesting to follow him. I mean he had a terrible Sunday round. He started out bogey uh, bogey on two, uh, birdie on one, uh, bogey on two, bogey on three, bogey on four, and then triple bogey on five. And then he finished it with five birdies. So at the tournament mm-hmm. so he really I I left him after nine holes. So uh,
0: you, the biggest staple of the Honda Classic of anything. It's not the bear trap. It's not PGA National. It's Kenny G. And he's there every year playing in the Pro-Am. Tell us about Wednesday at uh, PGA National.
1: Well, I think the Pro-Am was interesting this year because you got it was weird that Greg Norman was out there. And people haven't seen Greg Norman in a while. And uh, I thought the crowds at the Pro-Am honestly were poor. Uh, I, I, we've talked about this that it's the best thing to go to to follow the yeah. golfers. They sign autographs. You can take pictures with them. It's very relaxed. It's a chance for you to see these. I was shocked. I mean, Kepka had like eight people. Now they tee off early, so Kepka had eight people following. Justin Thomas had maybe twenty. Uh, Fowler had forty. I mean, mm. it was really bad. And then for the for the it was it was uh, Greg Norman, uh, uh, Shane Battier, uh, Joe Maurer and Kenny G. And they were the they, mm. they were the uh, and Shane Battier is <laughs> hitting a ball. Is very tall. He's almost was seven feet tall mm. and he was but he was very good he was he was excellent you tried to
0: get a Battier autograph but,
1: well I talked to him and, and he might come on Iron sports so and then but it was interesting to see so you got a basketball player a baseball player a saxophone player and an ex-pro golfer so it was a, it was a good group and, and it's fun to follow that around and I just it's just I shame that you don't get more people out on Wednesday because it's such a great day to watch some of these events um, I followed uh, I did I followed Kepka in the morning then I followed Justin Thomas in, in in like later morning for nine holes and then I followed uh, Ke- uh Fowler for the for the final nine, but the, there was a couple fun, like a little funny things that happened in the pro am. So on six. Um, there were alligators on the course. A lot of alligators year, And the more that I've seen them ever. And so on six, there was an alligator that came out of the water on the green side of six. And the alligator is just sitting there on the side. Well, this one pro amateur golfer hits the ball on the side and not in the water, but on the side. So as he's walking across, I'm like, did you see the alligator? Like we all saw the alligator. And you <laughs> notice when they walked across nobody walked anywhere near that, that side, but he had to go get his ball, but they let him pick it up because, mm. if, you know, if the alligator went back in the water. Water, but I think he wasn't afraid to hang around there with the alligator. There. If
0: you play <laughs> golf in South Florida, you're ready to see Gators. <laughs> there, there's not, you know, pretty much every course I, I, that I've played, I've seen one on. So
1: it makes it exciting.
0: But yeah, I'm always picking up when there's one close by. Um, I was there on Thursday and Friday. You didn't get to make it out. Of course, uh, you, you were busy. Um, but tell us about uh, Thursday at the Honda because Johnny Vegas just took a commanding lead. But I don't think I've ever seen somebody that's leading on, on Thursday win it all it's just so hard to be consistent there.
1: It is. And it's a lot of pressure. And because what happens at this tournament is that you have a lot of golfers that aren't used to leading. And then the pressure, people start asking questions and they're being interviewed. And it's, it's, as I said, it's, it's a tournament that has like on 17 people are surprised. I went with someone who's not used to seeing it golf. Like when you go to 17, it's like, they're not getting quiet. They're loud and they're talking. And these golfers play in, in very quiet, uh, Mm. temp, you know, all day long The people are quiet and suddenly people are talking. It's distracting. And then suddenly you're in the leader group and, And people are following you. And now you have a few hundred people following you, maybe at 500, it becomes a problem. Uh, Johnny Vegas had actually won once before, I believe maybe like 2010,
0: but yeah, this isn't a... you know position he's been in recently
1: but I think the story of the day was on the 15th hole I mean Kapka had a double bogey on the 15th that's a par 3 over the water it's mm-hmm. the one where 17 is the famous hole but the 15 is another par 3 Just where as you as go hard. over the water it's the bear trap you get there there's a big statue of a bear and the, because Jack Nicholas designed the, mm-hmm. hole, uh, the hole the whole course really there was a Jack Nicklaus design course but it's, it's 15, 16 and 17 are the hardest holes in the are, they're considered the difficult holes where you could lose the tournament mm-hmm. and uh, and they both One had a double bogey, one triple bogey on that hole. Um, Going into Friday,
0: it it was a really... When Friday ended, looking at the leaderboard, you were just like, what is going on here? This is going to be a crazy weekend.
1: Yeah, I think it was... I think what happened after Friday, you had uh, Sun M. who... And Keith Mitchell, and they were both at six. And, and M is interesting because he won the web.com tour last year. So mm-hmm. he's not like this, it's like one of these tournaments that I think a lot of people you're seeing Well, the web.com is the minor league tour. And the players, Justin Thomas was talking about it. He was being interviewed, and they, they said, Well, five, six years ago, you were in the web.com tour. And it's weird to think that Justin Thomas was not always on this tour. Yep. He wasn't the superstar he was. He was playing it, he was like these guys were. And they asked him what the experience was, and he goes, Well, you're bonding. It's a bonding experience. You know, I'm friends with the people. So I thought, I mean, I listened to about a, an hour interview with Justin Thomas, maybe 45 minutes. It was pretty interesting. He really was open about the rules of golf and about his history of playing and and, and the difficulty in the tournament. He says, look, I'm playing three weeks in a row. Uh, three This is my third tournament th- for three weeks. Uh, but it's nice that I can go to the restaurants I'm used to going to. I can sleep in my own bed. <laughs> yeah. But he goes, I can't criticize any other golfers who don't want to play. Like, I'm not playing next. He's not playing in Bay Hill next week. So he was able to play the three weeks, take a week off.
0: What was his reasoning for not playing in Bay Hill? Do you know?
1: I think he wanted to come back to this tournament and play. That, the reason Tome he was going to play three yeah. and, he, and he felt that he had won the tournament uh, last year and felt like he wanted to come back and win.
0: That was awesome of him. I yeah. appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, tell us about Friday, though, because, it, like you said, this was... It, it was kind of a weird day. A lot of movers and shakers, and we didn't know who was going to make the cuts halfway through the afternoon.
1: Well, the interesting about Justin Thomas, and I got to give him credit on one thing. Well, I don't know if I give him credit, but on Thursday he hit a tree. Uh, he he injured his arm hitting a tree on a shot on the second hole. I know the sixth hole, and he he injured it. So he he. Oh, it was 11, but uh he injured it and it was a weird shot where he actually knew he was going to hit the tree on the shot, but still took the risk. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you would take the risk. I mean, I guess if you're trying to win the Masters or the US Open, it's the final shot. You might want to risk it. But I think at the Honda the first day, it's probably not a risky shot. So then it said he had dead arm and didn't play well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he comes finishes. He finishes Friday plus two. He was outside the cut line and then he finally made the cut you would think he would just drop out of the tournament, but he stayed and played. Like, I got to give him credit. I mean, that was really good. I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember when Rory had his toothache and had yeah, to drop out. I thought it was very impressive that Justin Thomas felt, for credibility, purpose for the tournament, for himself, that he stayed and played. Because I don't like in tennis how these players drop out all the time, and, mm. and I have criticized that. But I, I got to give... I question his judgment for taking that risk on the shot and on Thursday, but also give him credit for sticking in the tournament.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, in the past five years, we've seen both Rory and Tiger. Uh, Dropout of the Honda um, for for one reason or another. But Adam
1: Scott didn't make the cut. Um, Thomas almost missed the cut, and uh, um, and eighty three players made the cut, which means there was a secondary cut. People aren't used to that. There's actually there's another cut to get down to seventy. So you play on whoever comes on Saturday, and they eliminate another thirteen people mm-hmm. to get down to seventy for the next day.
0: Uh, tell us about Saturday, uh, Ira. I didn't even know VJ Singh was still playing, and I think everyone was talking about old man VJ come uh, come
1: Saturday afternoon. A little thing about Vijay Singh, he, he's 56 years old, 56. You know, he doesn't look it. He won the event 20 years ago, and it wasn't even at PJ National and at Heron Bay. And they asked him, oh, do you have any memories? And he goes, none. I don't even remember where we played the tournament. <laughs> so I thought that was, that was funny. Um, he, he's, in, he won, he's been in 28 tournament events the past two seasons, just two top 20, 25 performances. But over his career, he's won $75 million. $75 million in a time, you know, he was playing back years ago. That's a lot. of In today's money, that might be like three four $400 million.
0: Oh, definitely. Because
1: it was like before Tiger. Um, he, he said if he didn't play well in the next couple of tournaments he was going to go on the Champions Tour where he's been playing a little bit um, and I thought it was interesting from 2003 to 2005 he won 17 times Tiger in that same time won 12 so he was ranked number one in the world for 32 weeks and uh, he was also a chance if he won this tournament he would have been the oldest PJ winner Sam Snead won it when he was 52 years old so it would have been pretty cool um, I just you know it was great to see him out there and great. he's played this tournament a lot mm-hmm. and he usually gets cut and doesn't make it and, and people were like waiting for him to fall back, but he really hung in there. Yeah, in my you know about a
0: decade of of covering the Honda Classic, I don't remember him ever at the top of the leaderboard, especially late in the in the tournament. So good for him. Was he a play? Was he a, a sponsor exemption? I, I mean, I know he plays in it every year, but like you said, he doesn't play many tournaments. I was wondering if this was like an invite from Honda. No, I think PGA. he's
1: a pass winner. So as a pass oh, winner, okay. he gets in. I think that's what got him in. That makes sense. So tell us about the rest of Saturday. Well, I think it was now. See, this is the problem I have following these tournaments. Is when Tiger's in, I just go to Tiger and follow Tiger. <laughs> but when Tiger's not in, then I debate like, what do I want to do? Do I want to follow Kepka or Fowler? Because but they were very close. So I'm like, I started following uh, Fowler, then I went to Kepka, then I jumped back to Fowler. I don't hate when people do that, but I was like, because Fowler was struggling, when everyone once started started struggling, I jump back to the to the next one. Uh, and uh, so it was like a weird for me going back and forth, which I never <laughs> never do. And uh, but. Kapka had an amazing shot on 12 um, 12 was a weird hole it, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a par 5 and no it, I mean sorry so it's not a par four, it's a par four, but it's the one where they, it was about a refreshment stand, and it was mm-hmm. way back, and he just made, I, I saw Tiger make a great shot there, I saw Phil make a great shot there, and Kepka made another tremendous, like when you're way off the fairway, there's refreshment stands, there's everything around you, and he got hit it within like five feet of the hole, it's
0: tremendous. There's plenty of stuff around PGA National Resort and Spa during this tournament, so you're right, you can get into uh, some danger like just off the tee boxes. Um... Let's go to Sunday. This is Iron Sports, this is the True Oldies channel of Mike Balsamo. It's seven thirty nine, um, Sunday. Like I said, one of the mo- I- I've seen some really good Honda finishes, and I, I would say that that the uh, Patty Harrington and Daniel Berger was the best, but this was the second best I've ever seen, in my opinion.
1: Well, this was exciting. Now, remember, I'm following. I went follow Thomas earlier. Saw that disaster that he had when I left. When he had was dropped five shots and three Mm -hmm. holes, and then so I'm done following Thomas. And I go, but Fowler and Kepka were teeing off at the same time. So I'm like, I would rather watch Fowler than Kepka. I thought Kepka Fowler had a one stroke lead over Kepka. So you had debating on which one to follow. I'm like, I'm going to stick with Fowler the whole time. And he had a huge gallery. I mean, everyone was following. It was it was tremendous. But he didn't start. He He didn't start out that great. And uh, he was back to four under and Clark was at nine under at, when he was on like the, on the ninth hole. So he was like five strokes and I'm like, wow, he has to do something. And then Ryan Palmer got this early lead of a seven. So you're looking at that lead. He's sitting at, when when Ricky Fowler is like at 11 and 12, sitting at four under, you're like, well, you're going to have to birdie some holes because the leader is at seven under. You can't wait for, it's one of those <laughs> tournaments where you're like waiting for the leader to fall back. The leader is not falling back. Um, and then he birdied 11 and then he got pars on 12, 13 and 14. So he is still at four under under at 14, mm-hmm. but on 15, uh, he had this putt on 15. That's the par three. He putted. It was like one of those tiger shots where it just sat on the lip. It looked like for 15, sat 20 seconds and just fell right in. That was exciting. And then, But then you see that Kepka is at eight under. Now, Kepka was ahead of him. So he was like, well, he's at there. And then the birdie on 17, it was like, you know, again, a 45-foot putt in uh, sitting right there with the crowd. Everybody's sitting at the bear trap, the, the, the crowd around there screaming and yelling when he made it. Uh, just tremendous. And then on 18, he hits, as I said earlier, into the rough. He has this tough shot, backs away from twice because the fans were screaming at him, mm-hmm. just like making comments and everything. And then he hits it right on the green, like 12 feet away, comes up there and hits his birdie. I mean, just amazing. And gets he gets to eight. So when he came in at eight, he was at eight, Kepka was at eight, and Mitchell was at eight. Now, Mitchell's behind. Yeah. And then everyone is, like, getting ready for a playoff. And the playoff would have been play 18 again, play 18 another time. It's a one-shot playoffs. Mitchell comes in there, in the sand trap, hits it on the green. And then when he was putting, you're just, how many times have you seen someone on 18 miss that putt? I mean, it's like, it was a hard putt. There
0: was 0%. My brother-in-law and I are sitting there, and we just looked at each other. There's no way this guy hits this. And his blood is cold as ice because he knocked that down. And his celebration was great. He was just as excited as, as I think, everyone else was. Like, wow, great putt.
1: Well, his... His caddy looked like uh, Happy Gilmore. If you yeah. So <laughs> it was so funny. I went back and I was like talking to Ricky Fowler in the media room on the side. His caddy was over there, and someone went up to his caddy and says, You know, they're having the awards ceremony. On 18, which is far, he's like, what? He goes, yeah, the award ceremony. Like, you're a golfer that you're, you're, you know, he won. So you get to have an award <laughs> He was so surprised. He's like, well, can I go to it? And he's like, yeah, watch your bags. And he like ran over to the, he had to walk and run over the That's thing to hilarious. go to the tournament. So I thought that was funny. And think how this changed Mitchell's life. He's 132 in the world. He wins $1.6 million. So now he doesn't have to worry about next year. He's exempt from the tour for two years for winning. So just, Mm. I mean, this is. You keep your card for two years. Right. He keeps the card for two years. He gets an invitation to the Masters which is, I mean, you get to invitations to the PGA, the US, I mean, all these different things that come. His life has changed. This is a major, to win a tournament, any tournament on the PGA Tour, is for someone like him, I mean, if Justin Thomas would have won, great. Ricky would have won, great. But for Mitchell to win this, this really is a life-changing event.
0: It was interesting. It was, um... It was Michael Thompson about four or five years ago, same thing, where this just relatively unknown came in and won it. And the same thing with Russell Henley. This is another guy who you'd never really heard of before. Russell Henley's actually had a decent career from then on.
1: Right. I mean, that's going to be exciting to see how he does. And well, you know, after winning a tournament like this, you get to follow him. And, and like now if he's in the leaderboard of the Masters, like you turn on Thursday in the Masters, he's like five under or something. You're like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, you know, and this could give him confidence to make a putt like oh, yeah. that is going to give him confidence going forward saying I've made this putt. I mean, I think this is a that was a there were, he was putting in front of thousands and thousands of people right there.
0: I felt nervous for him at home. <laughs> that, that's how because we've been there. We know what it's like on that 18th green. Um, I don't know if you saw, but they posted on Instagram. His uh, he had seven an hour after the after the finish. He had 700 unread text messages and 90 messages on Snapchat. So <laughs> everyone was kind of coming around uh, to his big win. Um, Ira, before we move on from golf, your buddy, uh, what was that? The rules. rules. Uh, what about the rules?
1: Well. Th- this this has became this become a, a central point and I was neat hanging around the golfers but they're really this is a weird thing what's happening in the tournament right now. The USGA makes these rules. The people who play for the USGA are not even go- – they are not. some of them aren't really golfers mm-hmm. at all, and, not, and they're not pro golfers. So they're making these rules, and they're changing the rules. And these rules are starting to really affect these golfers. And Alex Cheka got disqualified for the tournament. Yeah, now, this is, this is the major thing he did. His book to read the greens was too big. He had like a Samsung – an X Plus iPhone and not an X iPhone. You disqualify someone, you don't just go up to them and say, look, you got the wrong book, like it's too big. Mm. Like, first of all, I don't know if you want to carry a book around because you're putting it back, but it's like they changed the rule this year. You disqualify, you take a guy out of the tournament for that reason.
0: It's absolutely crazy. If you think, you know, if you're a sports fan, you think baseball's are ar- archaic and just ridiculous, you got to read it through the golf rule book.
1: Adam Shank was at for after Friday, had was minus four, was in the lead, and that was not was in the was group of the, the leaders. They come, they came to him after the tournament, and said, uh, on Friday, they go, We're taking two strokes off. Well, what did Adam Shank do? There's this new rule that if your caddy, if you're lined up for a putt, your caddy comes behind you. He's allowed to to help you read the putt. But if you're getting in your stance, the caddy has to move away and can't stand right there or can't help you line up. Well, he was on 17. Anybody who went to the tournament saw 17. There's not a lot of room around that green. There's stands everywhere. The caddy had nowhere to go. He was in, the the, the ball was in the sand trap. There was nowhere. The caddy couldn't stand anywhere else. What's he supposed to do? Block the view or or delay it. So they went and they gave him a two-stroke penalty because his caddy, who wasn't even talking to him was behind him. Mm. Now, this is ridiculous. And Justin Thomas went on a Twitter rule, w- war, which I think is helping Justin Thomas with the other golfers, because it's nice to see they he's standing up to these rules and saying, these rules are ridiculous. You can't keep penalizing these people. And the USGA's comment is, well, in the old days, you would have been de- defaulted from the entire tournament or kicked out of the tournament for what, a thing like Shank did. But to get Kepcha uh, kept out, that was ridiculous. On, a, on his book being too big?
0: It, no, the whole thing, they've got just ridiculous rules. It seems like every tournament, there's something ridiculous that happens just like this is in the rule book how these guys are, aren't lawyers that, that you know every year the different modifications to the tax rule you know this is like they're professional golfers not um you know not accountants breaking down the ridiculous
1: and these rules are not and these rules are not to, to yeah they he, don't impede or
0: help anybody y- it's not like <laughs> oh my gosh he was using this book and it's such <laughs> he didn't have 43 clubs <laughs> it's, it's like it's, it's ridiculous ira your buddy Got a neck strain, he's saying. Tell us about it.
1: Well, I heard just announced that Tiger yeah. Woods is out of Bay Hill. Um, hopefully, it's not Eight-time serious. Eight-time winner, I think. Hopefully, it's not serious, and hopefully, it's a way that he wants to go and be ready for the players. So, I think he's—I mean, he's—look, at this stage of the game, I know he's won the Bay Hill eight times. He likes to win tournaments, but he also wants to win the, the majors. And, and I guess anything that's going to—he probably wants to stay fresh. Yeah, that's I, what he said. Look, I was on this— it's for radio station. When I was on my show two weeks ago, I said the Genesis was one of the toughest tournaments I've ever seen from these golfers. You saw Justin Thomas this week. You saw how he struggled. I think even hitting the ball where he hit the tree with his club was—he probably was—he's still feeling the effects. There's golfers that played the Genesis. It was a hard, hard tournament. He mentioned Justin Thomas the interview. Said it was one of the hardest tournaments he's ever played. It was wet the entire time. You're hitting. You're walking around. It was cold, wet, rainy. Terrible tournament, and I think that. And Tiger played. You know, of course, Tiger played in that whole tournament. I think he's tired and I'm just trying to get a little more extra time off.
0: We we are already uh, up against the gun. Still, so much to talk about. Uh, we went from one of your uh, favorites. Let's talk about your other favorite, LeBron James. Things not looking good in L.A. Ira. Vegas has them at a seven percent chance to make the playoffs at this point, and I think it should be lower than that.
1: <laughs> well, we left the show yesterday, and we said, "Well, he's going to win this night." That night, they played Memphis. They lose to Memphis. <laughs> they, then they beat New Orleans, and then I watched them play on Friday night against Milwaukee. It was a great, great uh, game. Uh, but they lose against Milwaukee, and then they. But the worst is they lost to Phoenix. the Phoenix. Is worst try- team in the league. Phoenix is trying to lose games. They're purposely trying to lose games, and they and the Lakers lose. And it was just, uh, it was just. It, it, Look, Brandon Ingram for the Lakers is starting to play really, really well. He had 27 points the one game, 31 the next. Um, but against the Suns, they were down 17 points, and this is really getting bad for LeBron because now the Laker fans are turning on, saying, "Well, you came here, you can't deliver this championship. You're supposedly so great." I think the national press—I mean, Laker has a Luke lot of Walton's drama, gone. right? Laker, LeBron is full of drama, but he always wins. So the point is, you—you—he wins, and you and you tolerate the drama, but without the winning, the drama then becomes. He, and after every game, they would interview him, and and. Look, he's under a tough. He, he has to give an interview after the game, so he talks. Well, we have to play better. We have to do this. He's disappointed. He's always throwing the other players. Somehow, even every little slight is throwing the players under the bus. Mm. And now it's become a problem. And he has played. As they mentioned, the, the comment was that the last time LeBron was in the NBA playoffs, Zion Williamson was four years old. <laughs> four years old. He's a little four-year-old toddler running around there. And LeBron, it's the last time LeBron was in the playoffs. And now they're um, four and a half behind the Spurs who have the ace spot. The Kings are still battling with that. And then also the Clippers are 36 and 29, nine back. And when you look at the Clippers team and you're like, wow, I mean, they're trying to lose, but they're actually playing better. So the question is, what can the Lakers do uh, in order to come back? And and they they really, I mean, it's it's at that point now. They have 19 games left and they really start have to go on one of those 13-6 runs. I, I, look, I I've seen LeBron come back. I've seen. <laughs> I'm never counting LeBron out. I three one to the Warriors when he came back and won. So I
0: that was the greatest comeback of, of his career. And this would be the
1: the new career. this is. But I think that this would be. I I'm still am never going to count him out. But this team was poorly designed. We talked about it. They you watch them. They need better defenders. They need more defenders. They also need three point shooting. They're the worst three point shooting team in the league. They're the worst foul shooting team in the league. And that's why the Lakers are struggling. And it's going to be weird to have the playoffs and not have not LeBron not only in the finals but not even in the playoffs.
0: Well, that's that's what I was going to say. I mean, and you made a great point.
1: This drama
0: is okay when you make the finals every single year. When you don't make the playoffs, people start looking at it like, especially in L.A., you know, a city like that. Um, You know that I've become like a de facto Heat fan, partially because I've lived in South Florida for a decade, partially because the Knicks are just a dumpster fire. But this team is so weird to me, Ira. They're tough to watch at times. I never know what I'm getting night to night, and they might make the playoffs.
1: Well, they're twenty eight and thirty four, but they're only a game and a half out of the playoffs. And that win they had uh, last Wednesday night against Golden State was absolutely massive.
0: On a back to back with Houston,
1: yeah. So it's one twenty four, one twenty. They're losing. First of all, they were up. They were. They were. They were. They were uh, up sixteen points. They blow the lead. Now they're down 124, 120 with 18 seconds to go. Wade makes a three. They foul Durant, who's a 90% foul shooter. He only makes one of two shots. They come back down. Wade shoots the ball. He he gets blocked by Jordan Bell, Bell. So he comes back down with the ball, with like a second to go, and just throws the ball up. It, it banks in for a winner. They win by one point. And then Wade, it was great to see. Because Wade runs around the court. The people are going crazy. Um, what a great win for DeWay. I mean, it's, it's it's great to see Wade hit that shot considering this is last year, and, and it was a good win for the for the Heat.
0: What does our uh, playoff uh, breakdown look like as we get uh, really down to the nitty-gritty here, Ike? Right?
1: Well, you know, I think the weird thing in the west what's happening i love how the rockets jazz the Ro- the Bla- the blazers rockets and jazz are playing really well they're all like 5 games out uh the nuggets are one and a half and the warriors are leading but leading it's it's weird how the nuggets are hanging in there and i just think the nuggets are a team that they have the right they might get lose that first round i every time i watch the nuggets i'm not that impressed with them mm-hmm. and they and they could even have the number 1 seed but it, it's just again the it's they're battling out between the clippers the spurs and the lakers and the and the kings for the last spot and the east though the east is is so interesting because the the Celtics are playing terrible. They're they're one. Kyrie and
0: f- can't wait to get out of
1: there. They're one and four. Um, no, everyone is shocked. They 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 are just not playing well. And they thought they're they're healthy. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's playing. They have supposedly the best young coach in basketball. And they won since the All Star game All Star break one game. And uh, it's interesting. They play this week at the Lakers on Saturday night. That right, Kyrie versus LeBron, it's not really a must win for Boston, but one of those wins where they keep losing this week where it's going to be must in terms of are they going to be any good. And it could be a, definitely a must win for the Lakers. So it would be interesting to see LeBron and Kyrie going at it.
0: Uh, before we uh, close this out, um, you know, I'm on record on this show saying I thought Luka Doncic was going to be the, 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 the prize of, of last year's draft. Um, Trey Young I thought it was going to be a bust but you think he's looking
1: pretty good in Atlanta Trey Young's starting to put up those monster numbers in scoring I saw him play when he played the Heat a couple months ago and he looks undersized he's uh, small yeah. he's, but he is shooting His imp- shoot. he's improved his shot um, and scoring in the 40s a couple games uh, and he's getting a lot of assists on a pretty bad team when you see how the Hawks are playing I mean the Hawks were one of those teams where I thought it was going to be the worst team and they actually are not one of the worst teams and he's playing I think it's one of those things where I think Everybody went to—again, everybody went to the right place. I think Trey Young is in a good situation. I think Aiton in, in Phoenix is going to be he's in his having a good situation. And, season. and uh, he's a 16 points and 10 rebounds. And Doncic is having a game for Dallas. This is going to be a nice, interesting draft in terms of how well— I mean, you've had some good back-to-back drafts. Sometimes we look at some of these players, and we expect them to be the Zion Williamson's, but but Veluka Doncic could be a all, perennial all-star every year. So.
0: Uh, and I, I, there's nothing saying that he's not going to be. I mean, he, yeah. he, looks, he looks every bit of it. Um, let's switch to NCAA— Everybody loves March Madness. We're in March now. We're just, uh, like you said, some conference tournaments start this week. What's going on in the NCAA?
1: Well, Gonzaga, as we talked about before, Gonzaga's going to be the number one seed. I mean, they just keep cruising. Yeah. They have nobody in their conference. They play in a conference that they beat Pacific by 20, Mount St. Mary's, I mean, St. Mary's by 14. So they're cruising. You know what's weird is the ACC, Virginia, Duke, and UNC are probably maybe the one, two, and three best teams in the country. Like, they're not really going to be right. They're ranked now two, three, and four, but they could really be a one, two, three in the country between Virginia and North And they should, I mean, this could be one of those years. I'm interested to see how it works out. Where they could have three ACC teams as the number one seeds in their regions. I don't think the they, the the NCAA would do that, but you could possibly have Gonzaga and those three Virginia, Duke, and UNC as the as the top seeds.
0: Yeah, Kentucky be the other. The one to slide in. I one guess.
1: to slide in. Ten, but Tennessee, we talked about the Tennessee-Kentucky. Tennessee beat Kentucky uh, on Saturday, mm-hmm. 71-52 by 19 points. So it's going to be interesting that you know Kentucky had that good win against Tennessee. Tennessee came back and beat them. LSU's playing great in the SEC. I mean, it's interesting when you watch these conference tournaments coming up because, as what Coach Dunphy said, some of these teams are like, look, they're going to be what they are. Duke's going to be a seed. It doesn't really matter. And it doesn't really matter if you're the two seed or the three seed. Some of this doesn't matter. better stay healthy. Some of these teams that lose in the first round, you get some more rest. You don't need to play three. Games in a row, but other teams are really battling. Like this is going to be the whether you could make the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament or play in the NIT. This is crucial. This is for the players. This is for the coaches. This is for the schools. It's it's gigantic. So that's what's going to happen in terms of. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Like in the Big Ten, a team like Indiana, which has been terrible all year, they beat Wisconsin this week, and then they beat number nine Michigan State by one. So and now they're sort <laughs> of on the bubble. And Villanova comes back, and and Marquette was playing great all year. They lose to Villanova this week. They lost to Creighton this week. And I'll give the most amazing. And we talked about the Pac-10, uh, Washington is maybe the only good team in the Pac-10 because UCLA, USC are terrible. California is 6-22. and 22. They played Washington, who was 22-6 and, and won. Crazy. <laughs> it's a team that's only won six games all year, beat a team that won 22 games in a year. So it's going to be really interesting. And for the NCAA tournament, the last four in, is we talked about, St. John's, Seaton Hall— uh, Temple and Arizona State, and then like Clemson, St. Mary's, Furman, and Murray State on the bubble. So it'll be this is like time of year where everybody's talking about the bubble, what teams get in, and then from seeding purposes. But I, I think seeding is a little overrated because um, it, it it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather the team be healthy. Like there's a question: Will Duke will Zion Williamson play tomorrow night for Duke? Well, uh, you know, is it where they're playing Wake Forest? They should win, but does it matter if they win? I mean. I'd rather have Zion Williamson healthy for the tournament. They should rest him until he's really healthy. Saturday, they're playing UNC. That's going to be the big game in terms of Duke UNC, at UNC this year.
0: Um, this has been a very weird baseball offseason, Ira. By the way, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, 756. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, like, sw- switching gears to baseball, something tells me that Harper must have had uh, you know offers on the line from Philly uh, forever and just didn't want to be a Philly. It turned out to be one of the most ridiculous contracts I've ever heard of in my life. 13 years, no opt-out, no trade clause. So he's going to die in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> what do you think of the deal, and, and how is this going to work out? I mean, they're going to have a decent lineup. Uh, you, you, know, you can't take that away from them. They've got Aaron Nola, who's a Cy Young candidate, so... This team can win some games and the NL East is really in flux with the Mets and uh, you know the Nationals floundering and then you got the upstart Atlanta Braves who are starting to take off. So I'm interested for this season but this was dragged on way too long and a weird contract to me.
1: Well, I mean we talk about basketball contracts being 5 years is the longest they can be and we think that's long. 13 years. I Crazy. mean 13 that's a long time. 13 years is a, That's a is, really long. It's a real long, for 330 million um he clearly didn't he clearly wanted to be a Dodger the Dodgers just were offering him like a four-year 160 million dollar deal or whatever they were offering he didn't they were trying trying hard I heard we, the rumors are out that San Francisco offered him but he didn't want to play in San Francisco he really wanted to play for the Dodgers and this is a deal he took and it was funny in his press conference he said well I'm happy I'm gonna bring a title to Washington so even didn't even know where he was at um, <laughs> but it's weird that. that there's no trade there's a no trade I mean he, can, he can't be traded they can't ask for him and he has no opt-out so he's not gonna opt- out Machado who hasn't opt out of his contract. Five years, yeah, halfway through. Um, it, this is one of those things where he said, I talk to uh, Mike Trout every day about the Mike Trout, one of the best players in baseball, the best player in baseball. And he, Mike Trout grew up outside Philadelphia. He's a, he, Milford, a Philly Milford, New Jersey, fan. yeah. Yes, and after 2020, he's a free agent. Now, if Trout comes to play with Harper for the Phillies and they get both players and they have a ride and they win three world championships, then this might sound really good. But knowing how the, the Phillies are, knowing some things, this this is the type of deal that in the fifth or sixth year, I think that Rice Harbor is traded to the Las Vegas Devil Rays and gets his hometown and plays the final five years there. Like there's something where it's just not going to work out. You don't, the Philly fans, I we, We've talked about Philly fans. They are the. They don't like. and They don't like their own team. They they, they threw this. <laughs> they threw the the snowballs at Santa Claus. They are. I went to that Minnesota Philly game. I've never seen people. I mean, I have never seen I, the Philly fans aren't as bad as the Eagle fans, but they're still bad. I mean, this team is. I just I just don't get it. I don't get. I don't think Harper wants to be in Philadelphia. I think this is. I just think it's a joke that he went there. I think it's be very hard. I think the fans are going to get on him. I mean, it's weird. You know, we talk about Bryce Harper being this great this like transcendent player. He's not really even a Hall of Fame player yet. No. I mean, look, I'm giving you his home run totals. 20- uh,
0: Save for the MVP year. Yeah, he's one, pretty
1: mediocre one, but everybody's had like what well, Dale Murphy and for the Braves had that one <laughs> so he's had 22 home runs 7 years 22-20 13-42 24-29 and 34 so only 2 years over 30 home runs his RBIs are 59-58 32-99 86-87 and 100 is this someone who should get 330 million dollars his averages oh he must be a great average hitter 270-274 273 330-243 219 and last year 249 I mean even the war if you want to look at his wars 5 3.81 9.9 um last year is 1.3 i mean i just don't think he's like he's not at the machado trout level and he got the money but i just not i again i think he's got to hope that he plays better he hopes that trout goes there but i this seemed to me if i had to bet where he's playing i think in five six years las vegas gets a baseball team they want a big splash they want to bring a big name and they trade for him and that's
0: interesting yeah and he'd have to obviously waive it but by then I could see him wanting I could wanting. see him wanting out by the all-star break
1: So <laughs> but it's interesting in baseball remember unlike basketball football where we restructure contracts and this is the A-Rod example and people don't understand when A-Rod was with uh, with Texas and he had this massive contract mm-hmm. and he wanted and the Red Sox traded for him the Red Sox we are make the trade we want you to redo your contract the union would not let him redo his contract they wouldn't let him give money back so this is a contract that he's not going to be and Stanton was traded That the whole talk about Stanton they don't, they don't don't permit the players to give anything money back on the contract, like the NBA does, like the uh, like football. So it's going to be a thing where this is going to be a problem contract. Now the average numbers are not that great. It's like twenty six million over for twenty to twenty eight, but it's so long and thirteen years. I mean, he might be out of baseball in seven years. So. Yeah,
0: the, the whole thing is just bizarre. Um, Ira, quick NFL combines in the books. I think Kyler Murray. Definitely a lot heavier than people thought, taller than people thought, too. I'm not going to be surprised at all if he goes number one overall. And I'm a Giants fan. We sit at pick number six. I really don't want him or Dwayne Haskins. And I now I'm thinking they might both be gone by then, which would be, in my opinion, a good thing.
1: What was amazing, Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. Um, the question everyone thought there were rumors he was five seven, he was five eight, <laughs> whatever. He comes to the combine 207", which he said he gained twenty some pounds from it. Um, his hands so, which are, are important. Were nine and a half, which is like whatever. But the comparable is Russell Wilson. Russell, he's five ten. Russell Wilson's five ten. He's two oh seven. Russell Wilson measured measured two oh five. Russell Wilson, of course, the star quarterback, Super Bowl champion from Seattle. And they're like, well, if Russell Wilson can do it. So can Kyler Murray. So that's exactly where I think Kyler Murray. Just the fact, forget what he can throw, what he can run. The fact that he showed up the combine. People saw his height and his weight. Uh, they're starting to think that wow, he could be that number one pick.
0: We're also expected to see a. You know, there's not that many teams in the market for a quarterback, especially with teams um, at the top. Probably going to draft them. The Redskins are really the team that's looking, especially now, because it's expected that Nick Foles is going to ink a deal with the Jaguars.
1: Well, it, it, I think this is a, a great move for the Jaguars. I mean, Foles, I, I, I think he's, I think he's got a raw deal his whole career. Um, yeah. He went, he went to high same high school as Drew Brees. He broke all of Drew Brees' records. He played in Arizona. He was picked in the third round by the Eagles. He beat out Vic, final, you know, to become the quarterback. Got injured, but the next year he had twenty-seven touchdowns. Three so picks, two, right? a two, two picks, two, two yeah. picks, and then he breaks his collarbone the next year. They traded him to. To the Rams, which was a total mess in terms of when he was traded to the Rams. The Rams weren't like the Rams were today. He comes back to the to the he played backed up for the Chiefs for one year under Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. Then he comes back to the Eagles. Carson Wentz gets hurt. He leads the team to the Super Bowl. It's <laughs> a Super Bowl MVP. Wentz gets the quarterback this year, gets hurt again, and then he has a great playoff run again. And now he's finally gonna get go to a place with his offensive coordinator Diablo Filippo, who he's worked with before um, in a team. I think he's perfect. I think this really helps Jacksonville. This is a type of move I think Miami I mean, this Nick Foles. I I think he's a I think he's a winner, and I think he's a great quarterback. He went toe to toe with Tom Brady and won in the biggest game. Uh, I'm a big Nick Foles fan, and I think it's exactly what Jacksonville. Jacksonville wants professionalism. They don't want to make mistakes. I think he's a great quarterback. It, for them. It's
0: interesting you bring up Miami because they might be the big loser in all this. You know, the Kyler Murray. They wanted Kyler Murray if he was my height, five, you know, five six. They were they were all in on Kyler Murray at, at twelve. I believe they're at. So that's not going to happen. Now they're going to be you know the hard luck losers in this if they don't. Up, that they're not making a splash now, and then Nick Foles is off the market. It's going to be weird to see what happens here. Um, Before we move on, NCAA football, let's talk about it. You know, we root for all the. Well, I root for all the Florida colleges because I don't have a you know a college that I have allegiance to. So I want them all to be good. I like that UCF thinks that they're national champions last year. Um, tell us about what's going on with Miami because it's gonna be a weird season.
1: It's gonna be weird. They're thinking out. We talk about football. You're thinking September. That yeah, seems like a good time to play football. That Miami is talking about moving the game against Florida. It's in Orlando up to ESPN. Wants it August twenty fourth. August 24th. Now, this isn't a warm-up game. This is Miami and Florida. This Mm. huge game, they're going to play in the... Third week of August, um, pretty amazing to have a game. It, as I said, as someone who grew up in terms of it's after Labor Day, you don't really have the big games later mm-hmm. to start that year. And that type of game where you get hurt, lose, you know, it, it could set you down. So it's very interesting. And also, I didn't. I looked at it, made me a chance, gave me a chance to look at Miami's schedule. Wasn't impressed. Bethune Cookman, Central Michigan, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Louisville. Um, not really any big names on that schedule at all.
0: We are out of time, Ira. I want to thank Fran Dunphy uh, so much for stopping by here. Head, head men's basketball coach at Temple. Hope. Hopefully, they do get that uh, last spot, one of those last four spots in, like we were saying. But Ira, we'll catch up next week, Mon- uh, Monday night, Ira on Sports.